it's time for the IHSA Safety Podcast. Welcome to IHSA's Safety Podcast. This is Enzo Garitano, CEO of IHSA Infrastructure Health and Safety Association. And today we're joined with our new Chief Prevention Officer from the Ministry of Labor, Training and Skills Development, Dr. Joel Moody. Uh, Welcome, Dr. Joel. Hey, Enzo. Great to be here. Thanks for joining us again today. And we thought we'd have a podcast around who the new CPO is for the for the benefit of all our listeners. Uh, maybe a little bit of your background and uh, and where you think this province is going with health and safety. So again, thanks for joining us. So maybe we'll start off by yeah, just starting off, but a little bit about um, your background. Uh, we know you came from the Electrical Safety Authority. Perhaps we can step back a little bit and go back to your origins and and maybe where you grew up. And I know you're from an education perspective. We've seen your bio, and there's a lot of different schools you've been to and different uh, designations and uh, and uh, degrees that you've received. So maybe we can talk a little bit about that, Joel. If you can start off, maybe where you grew up. Yeah, no, thanks, Enzo, and uh, just for your listeners, happy to to be with you once again. Uh, so so. A, a varied background, if we can call it that. Um, as, as you said, uh, I grew up originally uh, in Alabama, in the, the southern mm-hmm. U.S., a uh, very small town, about 14,000 people. Uh, but, you know, luckily and fortunately for us, um, the major industry in, a, in, in my city was uh, a textile corporation mm-hmm. called Russell Corporation or Russell Athletic. You may have been familiar with them, uh, wearing some of their sweatshirts right. or seeing some of their, their uniforms. Uh, so, so they were uh, very big within my city, employed a lot of people, uh, and because of that, you know, we were very fortunate to have a very good education system. Uh, you know, for example, uh, I was able to take Russian uh, in Alabama uh, my senior year, as an example. Mm-hmm. And and they also were, were very big on education, uh, because from their standpoint, having a, a well-educated uh, you know, population group in which to draw the talent to work um, for the corporation was so important. And so, you know, if you can think about that beginning of, of being led down, you know, both from an academic standpoint, uh, you know, having friends who, who went to, to the trade schools, you know, we would call them the junior colleges mm-hmm. uh, to, to, to make sure that they knew their trade. And, and then they would have a job at the end of the day working right. uh, for the, the company, you know, two, three generations, it was not unheard of. So education has always been very big, and I was fortunate enough to uh, receive a scholarship. Um, Basically, it was a a full room and board academic scholarship to any university of my choosing. I just had to get in. Wow, great great option for you. And so I went to to Duke. Mm -hmm. No, yeah, thanks, Enzo. Yeah, a lot of of work. Um, So um, went to Duke University in North Carolina, in Durham, North Carolina, and uh, majored in engineering. Uh, and as part of the scholarship from Russell, you also had a job coming back during the summer. Right. So I majored in civil and environmental engineering and then came back to work for Russell in the summer in their engineering department and their health and safety department. Uh, once again, you can probably imagine right. as a company, I'm uh, making sure their workers are safe. So yeah, cotton dust sampling, uh, dosimeters with noise, hearing protection. So did that basically since I was 17. Wow. Right? Early, early start with the corporation. Yeah. That's a great, yeah. great start. Yeah. Uh, and of course then, you know, working on some heavy civil, um, projects with them, road construction, um, you know, bringing in different uh, mechanisms of, of, of boilers and pressures, 
pressure devices. So had a, a very good um, kind of knowledge and, and, and on-the-job training, if you can call it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, it was really about maintaining health and safety. And it was right. about uh, finding ways that we kept people safe from, from being harmed. And that's where, you know, I, I wouldn't say I pivoted into public health, but civil and environmental engineering was actually a good lead up. People always ask, well, how did you get involved in public health? Well, I remind people, especially growing up in the southern states, originally we had a lot of malaria, yellow fever, um, you know, uh, diseases that were spread by mosquitoes. Right. And I would always remind people, well, you know, yeah, you know, what were the, the, the kind of the changes in the society that really helped get those diseases out of the population? And it was the engineers building the dams. It was the engineers building the water systems. And so right. that's what got me into public health and you know, epidemiology and international health. So I went to Alabama, Birmingham. So UAB, not the Crimson Tide. You okay. Know, always you know, think of Alabama. You know, right. Alabama football, different, different part of the, the Alabama system. Uh, but this is where the School of Public Health was and, and great teachers that, that really allowed me to, to, to further that, that question about you know, where do diseases come from and, and vectors and bacteria, viruses. So I did my master's of public health with a concentration in infectious diseases because it kind of made sense. Um, looking at ways to, to use engineering control methods. And for my, my, my project, I actually looked at, you know, how do we configure ventilation systems in order to prevent spread of, of tuberculosis in hospitals? Right. So, you know, all of those things in order to, to try to, once again, keep the patient safe, keep the staff safe, and we move from there. At the end of the day, uh, just, you know, more history, uh, spent some time in South America doing research. I was in Peru for a couple of years mm-hmm. uh, doing uh, infectious disease work. And then... Uh, and this post-grad or is this... Uh, that was that was post... Yeah, yeah. Actually, I had a fellowship uh, post-master's to mm-hmm. do that uh, infectious disease fellowship in South America in Lima, Peru, actually. Right. Wonderful experience um, seeing how other parts of the world, you know, live... You know, places, you know, developing countries where, you know, they don't have access to, to many of the devices that we have here. Mm-hmm. You know, when we talk about occupational health and safety, you know, what does it truly mean to have a, an integrated system? Right. In these places that didn't exist. How do you bring all those experiences then, you know, stepping forward a little bit, coming back to uh, landing in Canada? If you can maybe bring us to that. So you're, you've done your master's, you've, you're doing a research uh, in Lima, Peru. And after that, are you continuing on with your education at that point, or are you continuing, or are you starting to move now towards landing in Canada? Yeah, so so went to school one more time before that. So that's where I went to medical school, mm-hmm. and uh, had always wanted to go into medicine. And you know, population health, public health was really my interest. And then uh, was in California for my residency. I see. And that's where you know the the opportunity came about. Uh, my my preceptor during my residency said, hey, I have some friends at the U of T, University of Toronto, right. that do this type of research that I know you're interested in about cancer and genetics. So uh, why don't you go check them out? Mm-hmm. So I um, had that opportunity to come up, interviewed at, at U of T, and got accepted. And uh, that's where I started my fellowship wow. in, in oncology. Okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
was doing work at the time. The goal was always to 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 come to Toronto, do the fellowship, get that additional training, and then go back to the states. Right. Uh, but you know, proverbial history: <laughs> you're at school, and you find your significant other. Oh, the story so, is uh, over and over again. Eh? It sounds and, uh, it. <laughs> Yes, yes, I keep uh, you know, repeating. So, uh, so I met my wife, and uh, we, you know, been married, and have been in Canada for almost you know fifteen years now. So, right, that's awesome. That's awesome. But that's a, that's a good story. I mean, it's a story about you know, with all good intentions, you know, going back home because people always want to go back home. But seeing uh, the opportunities here, and as you said, meeting your significant other, it's a, it's a difficult pull to or decision to make. And uh, I think we're we're all better for it now. So. Um, no, we're glad that you you decided to stick around and uh, maybe moving on. So, how did you how did you look at uh, or how did you move from that activity with U of T in oncology and your interest in the in that sector of of industry of public health into maybe your last role at uh, Electrical Safety Authority? Somehow, uh, a headhunter had received my resume, CV, whatever you want, and at the time, they were said that there's this organization that was looking to really understand uh, what were the causes of electrical injury and what are some interventions that could be developed to, you know, reduce those injuries in both the workforce and in the general public. And they said they're looking for someone with, you know, an epidemiology background, but they also said, you know, your skill as an engineer would also be a benefit. So I said, sure, would love to do so. Because most people, if you think from the U.S., we always refer to the Centers for Disease Control or the CDC. Right. But we also forget that at the end of it, it's also Centers for Disease Control and Injury Prevention. Right. And so that's the additional part of epidemiology that has been fascinating for me is about injury prevention. And so ESA, Electrical Safety Authority, was looking for someone to help them. And, um, you know, they uh, were really um, looking for understanding data and trends and and using the epidemiology to to kind of break down root causes identify sectors where we had increased risk of fatality or injury and then develop plans that uh, both the ESA with the stakeholders could right. rally behind in order to affect change right and and there's a, a, again a number of different stakeholders within that scope uh, i would suggest but whether it be the, uh, the the stakeholders directly doing the work or the public or utilities themselves how do you find that relationship or that engagement with stakeholders how do you how do you feel that that um that part contributes to the overall um your overall work as an epidemiologist and you know, i i've always looked at it from the standpoint of no one person no one entity has all of the the pieces to the puzzle and i'll put it from that standpoint because it you know injury prevention is a puzzle and so it it does take collaboration it does take coordination within the system in order to to put the pieces together to to show what the picture is at the end of the day and so from the epi world we we've always had to collaborate be it with you know physicians with the scientists, with the ergonomics, with the industrial hygienists, all of those skills are so important. And that has kind of created my philosophy about, you know, what I do now with the prevention office, you know, and even, you know, organizations, uh, you know, as great as IHSA, working together within the system. 
using the expertise that exists. Uh, you know, and so you know, you hire great people for their expertise, Absolutely. their passion, their mm -hmm. knowledge. How do we bring them all together? As an example, so that's really you know what I, uh, I guess I pride myself on is being able to bring all the parties together, because together we are stronger than you know the individual tasks that we may be taking. No, absolutely. I agreed 100% there. And, you know, subject matter expertise is so important. And and I think that's where, you know, the system, if we want to talk about the health and safety system of Ontario, uh, has a, a significant benefit is, is the use of and reliance on those subject matter experts. To your point, not everybody can do everything, but certainly those those parts of the puzzle need to be there. And that subject matter expertise is, is what we find our, found ourselves on. Without that foundation, we're certainly in a different position. But um, when, you, when you consider that, is that... In coming to the role as, as the new chief prevention officer, um, you've mentioned already that that was a significant piece of what you do and, and how you want to do it. Where do you see some major opportunities maybe with regards to the different subject matter expertise of the different associations and the system partners overall in moving Ontario into a better place from a health and safety perspective? I think it really has to deal with, you know, as you know, we've, we've just uh, rolled out the new uh, strategy, mm -hmm. the prevention work strategy. And uh, as part of that, we've identified the four pillars, you know, around data, using uh, a collaborative approach, working with our small businesses. So I think those, those pieces are so important because um, when we look at the, how even the, the strategy was developed, you know, we had to talk to those subject matter experts. We had to learn from, you know, the people in Ontario themselves about what was concerning them the most. Um, and so, you know, based upon that, we rolled it out. And at the end of the day, it's about implementation. So I think, you know, to your question is, uh, where do we find opportunities for those subject matter experts to, to help develop the interventions? Uh, and as part of that is, how do we then measure the impacts that the right. strategy is having on the system? And so, you know, definitely, you know, for me, very much committed to making sure that, that our system, you know, has the tools that we need to, to measure uh, those intended outcomes, because we know that Ontario is one of the, the safest jurisdictions in Canada. And so how do we continue to, to have that strong safety record and even improve it? Because I know mm -hmm. we can. Right. So if we look at, if we look at the pandemic response, what are your thoughts around, um, along these lines of, of our response overall as a province uh, and what we learned from COVID and how that can maybe move us forward uh, in this vein that you just talked about. Yeah, well, you know, I, I think, you know, one of the, the, the most important things about, you know, from a response, if I could maybe, you know, talk about that one to begin with is um, communication. You know, we want to have very clear, relevant and consistent communication that always provides, you know, the stakeholders, the audience, with uh, what they need to do and why. And so, you know, throughout the pandemic, you know, I've heard, I've lived through, um, you know, that there's so much confusion, uh, the frustration uh, that can happen when information is really hard to find. Um, and so how do you provide the right guidance um, from both our knowledge, the situation that presents, because things change so quickly. Mm -hmm. You know, I remember, you know, days early on, you would get the communication and then two hours later, something would change. So it's always evolving in a rapid environment. But one of the things that I can say is, you know, through, through planning, 
and you know we talk about you know uh, work safe uh, planning safety standards frameworks you know how do you design or, or put into a system where it talks about risk and so having a risk-based uh, occupational and safety health approach to managing the workplace response to me is is key uh, and that's really from that public health perspective is you know right. we try to understand risk and then minimize it as much as possible but you have to have all of the the individuals be it you know the c-suite uh, be it you know the frontline worker the middle management all working together as a team in order to find ways to to minimize the risk right and, and it's certainly that's what we advocate for i think across the board is you know a health and safety management system that encourages that input from all the different workplace parties as we know whether it's the owner who starts off with the entire safety culture of the company or whether it's their supervisors who are reflective of the owner's attitudes and perspectives to the workers to the joint health and safety committee members and, and reps um, it really does take that that uh, team effort and full engagement to uh, to move us forward we've seen the successes of it and we've seen the failures uh, when it's not working well so when we you know we talk about uh, new initiatives and new work, you know, coming out of the strategic plan, you know, something that's just released now, the workplace safety plan builder. How do you uh, maybe just have a little discussion around, uh, you know, something of that nature and those tools that are going to be useful to engage the different stakeholders and engage the different uh, workplace parties in, in improving their health and safety outcomes? Yeah, the, the workplace safety plan builder has been a great news story. Um, you know, it's an online tool that was developed by, by some of my staff that really makes it easier for businesses or organizations to build or update a work plan that's customized for them. Uh, as you know, you know, the WorkSafe plan built from some of the requirements in the Reopening Ontario Act, right. uh, we use that as the first guidance. But it's really designed, once again, to, to have the, the technological ability. You know, we have Zoom, we've had, you know, Teams, we've been able to meet virtually and we've used technology. How do we use the technology in this case to help the businesses, to help, you know, especially those small businesses develop a customized plan where, you know, they may not all have that same level of expertise as a larger business. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, a person can log into the system. They can answer a few questions that are very easy. We have some, some check boxes uh, because we want to make it a plan that's not just going to sit on the shelf. You know, this is a plan that really is about, you know, once again, decreasing risk, providing opportunity for those businesses to think about what are the, the communications that we need to do, uh, both to our staff, to our patrons, potentially. Because, you know, you can print it, you can post it, you can put it up for public display. But at the end of the day, it's really about you know, helping those businesses think through in a methodical fashion, what are the different places that they need to uh, either you know, create, develop, improve upon, such that it keeps their workforce safe and, and healthy at the end of the day. And that, that is our joint goal of of making sure that everybody gets home at the end of the day. And, and we want to thank you for your efforts in joining uh, the Ministry of Labor Training Skills Development as our Chief Prevention Officer in achieving those those goals of getting everyone home at, uh, home safely every every day, healthy and safe, of course, from all aspects, including mental health and, and workplace violence and harassment, um, which I know that is, is something that you're also, um, uh, is very high on your priority list uh, when it comes to um, 
to your goals and, and where I think you lean on in regards to health and safety in the workplace. Any comments around mental health and equity, diversity, and, and workplace violence and harassment? Yeah, you know, definitely. And so, um, you know, you know, as part of, you know, kind of my ethos, again, it has been around, uh, you know, questions around, you know, anti-racism. You know, at the end of the day, we, we want people to be able to come to work um, and make an honest day's living, be able to, to provide for their families uh, in an environment that's, that's safe for them. And this transcends, once again, to the mental health standpoint as well. You know, if, if you are, are having some challenges and, and having mental health challenges, you're not able to, to be, you know, from a work standpoint, um, fully productive. And so downstream quality of life, working with your family, working with your colleagues on the job site, you know, those are all very important pieces because I think all of those aspects are tied together. You know, you cannot separate the individual from the work and all of the, the characteristics of that individual come to the workplace with them. Right. Uh, because right. many businesses at the end of the day want to be productive. And so how do you have a, a well workforce uh, is so vitally important to the productivity, not only of the business, but for those individuals as well. Yeah, no critical pieces of the puzzle, as we talked about in parts of the puzzle that uh, we need to all work on in order to get this province to really... Um, you know, again, even emerging out of the COVID uh, pandemic is, is to get us back on our feet and to progress um, in a very strong, healthy and safe environment. Thinking about uh, just your diverse professional uh, history, we've talked a lot about where you came from and, and how you came through and landed in Toronto. Hopefully there's a lot of diverse interests also outside of the workplace. Um, maybe you can comment on those as some parting words for us. What, what uh, keeps you busy outside of work and uh, what keeps you interested outside of work? You know, family. I, I love my family. And so uh, I have, have two two young girls that, that keep me busy. Um, and of course, uh, my, my wife, we, we like to do many things around the house, helping plant, do some gardening and things of that nature, cooking. But also for me, I, I enjoy music. So um, I've mm -hmm. been, I played piano, took lessons for you know, 16 years or so, wow. played saxophone. So it's really those types of things. So the house is always full of music. Uh, that so, is awesome. So, yeah. So yeah. have the kids picked up on some of your skills? Uh, they are beginning to. Um, you know, I definitely don't want to, to force them where they, they don't want to go. But, you know, uh, oldest daughter, um, uh, we did get her a drum set, an electronic drum set. And so she's uh, having fun putting on her headphones and, you know, just, just hitting things other than the pots and pans right now. So that's very <laughs> well, that's, helpful. And a smart move for you to, to make sure it was an electronic set. So yeah, so you do have that silence in the house while you can maybe play your piano or other instruments. And that's fantastic. Well, we want to, again, I want to thank you for joining us today and learning more about you as our new chief prevention officer. And we definitely look forward to working with you in uh, really moving this province forward, uh, like I said before, in a, in a very healthy and safe way and, and one that recognizes the diversity and equity that's required in this province to, to really be a full community of, of a province. Again, thank you for those efforts. And again, we're hoping that we have great things ahead of us and we'll be able to uh, help contribute towards all that jointly. So again, thanks for joining us today again with uh, Dr. Joel Moody, our new Chief Prevention Officer in Ontario. We look forward to uh, our efforts in the future with you. Thanks again. Thanks, Enzo. Have a great afternoon. The IHSA Safety Podcast. For more episodes, tips, and all things safety, go to IHSASafetyPodcast.ca. Thanks for listening. 
Each year, about 5,000 IHSA supervisor logbooks are ordered for supervisors across Ontario. Why is the logbook so popular? Because it was developed by the industry for the industry. That's what makes it unique. IHSA thanks the members of the Labour Management Network and Advisory Councils who contributed their knowledge, experience and time to the preparation of this supervisor logbook. Contact IHSA at 1-800-263-5024. That's 1-800-263-5024. Or visit IHSA.ca. That's IHSA.ca.